The gospel lesson comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 17, verses 1 through 11. You can find it on page 1206 of the Pew Bible. And if you, uh, if you open a Bible and follow along, I would encourage you to keep it open during the sermon, because I'll, I'll reference it uh, a number of times and draw your attention to certain verses. In this gospel lesson, Jesus, he lets, uh, he lets us hear his prayer to the Father. And in this prayer, we learn the heart of God. Please stand as you're able for the gospel from John chapter 17, beginning at verse 1, we read in Jesus' name. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people, whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. And you may be seated. Alleluia. Christ is risen. This occurs on the night before Jesus' crucifixion. And on this night, as he knew he was going to die the next day, he prayed for you. This is one of the marks of a virtuous and loving person, that when they face their death, they think not of themselves, but of others. I don't really know where my mind will be when I face my death. I suppose this is one of those things that we don't really know until we get there. But it is, of course, connected to how we live in this life, in the ordinary times. If we think often of ourselves in the ordinary times of life, we will likely think of ourselves in that hour of death. And if we think of others in the ordinary times of life, perhaps we will think of those others in that hour of death. And if we think upon Christ in the ordinary times of life, and if we call upon him, we will be trained to think on him and call upon him in the hour of death. Now I have, by the way, seen all of these things, and I have seen all of these things among Christians. When a person who thinks often of themselves faces death, especially if there's a period of suffering leading up to it, it can be a very miserable experience. You may have seen this as well, and I'm not doubting anyone's salvation or their faith in Christ. I've seen this in those who confessed faith in Christ, and as far as I can tell, fell asleep trusting in him. And their sin, just like the rest of ours, is forgiven and paid for by Christ. 
But there's kind of a sad irony here that the more we seek our own good in this life, the more miserable death is because all that person can think about is their own suffering. But for those who think of others, and especially for those who think upon Christ, the hour of death is a different experience. I still would not call it fun, but it's more noble and hopeful. There's a, there's a mysterious blessedness to it. Jesus, when he faced death, had his mind on you. He prayed for you. All of chapter 17 is a prayer of Jesus. In the part that we read today, Jesus prayed for his disciples. He prayed that the Father would keep them and unify them as one. But if we were to read on, we would see that Jesus, he's not just praying for them, but also for you and me. Now, for the most part, I usually try to stay within the text for the day and leave the other parts for when they come up in the lectionary. But I want to peek ahead just a little bit so that you can see that Jesus prayed for you. In verse 20, he asks, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And that's you spiritual descendants of these apostles. When Jesus faced the hour of his death, his entire church, even the part that didn't exist yet, that's what was on his mind. And of course, it should not surprise us that the perfect and sinless Son of God was unselfish as he faced death. But we can and should still marvel at this. His death, for his own sake, was unnecessary. He could have avoided it. He did not have to go through the pain and the agony. He did not have to experience the separation from his father, nor the condemnation of God. But all those things, he endured them for our sake. And so his mind was on you and on his entire church. And so he willingly went forward to his death. And on the evening before that death, he prays for his church. We can learn a lot from the way that Jesus prays here. There are several places in the Gospels where Jesus prays, and oh, I'm sure there are hundreds more, thousands more that are not recorded for us. But sometimes Jesus goes away by himself to pray, and nobody goes with him. So we have no idea what he prayed in those moments. But in this instance, he's in the presence of his disciples, and he prayed out loud for them to hear. He wants them to hear and learn from his prayer, and he also wants us to learn from it. And the same is, of course, true for the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches all of us how to pray. But the Lord's Prayer is more than just a how-to. This, it isn't just practical teaching about what we should pray for or how to get what we want when we pray. When Jesus prays and when Jesus teaches us to pray, he reveals the desires of God. He shows us the things that God cares about. And when we pray for those things that Jesus teaches us to pray for, then we start to love those things too. This is how our desires are conformed to God's desires. This is how we learn to love and desire those things that are good. And when we learn to love and and desire the things that God loves and desires, well, then you know that we will not be disappointed because the good and gracious will of God is always accomplished. And so think for a moment of the Lord's Prayer, our Father. And then there are seven petitions that follow that in the prayer. 
Jesus teaches us what to ask for. And he teaches us to ask for these things because these are the seven things that our Father desires to give us. And so don't think of the Lord's Prayer simply as a, a, a good prayer or a how to pray. Think also of the Lord's Prayer as God's seven desires. These are the things that he loves. These are the things that he desires to do and to give. And that is why Jesus teaches us to pray for these seven things. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from evil. It's not really so much of a how-to, but this reveals the heart of God. When we think and meditate on these petitions, we grow to see God's heart. And in this prayer, too, in John 17, Jesus prays out loud for his disciples to hear so that we can learn his heart. Now, the first thing Jesus states is the occasion or the reason that he's praying. Father, the hour has come. The hour he speaks of is the appointed time of his suffering and death. This is the hour for which Jesus came into the world, and now he must pass through it. And so Jesus prays, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Now, if we just read that first part and don't think about it too much, it might sound a little bit like a selfish prayer. Have you ever prayed, God, please glorify me? Probably not. I hope we're not that careless in the presence of God. If you do, that was a bad idea. Don't do it again. So it might sound selfish that Jesus prays for this, but it's not. Think about this with me. What does it mean for God to glorify the Son, especially during this hour? The glory of Jesus is his cross. It's his death. That's the way it always is with saviors. A Savior's finest hour is the hour in which they do their saving. For a firefighter, it's when he rushes into a burning building to save a child. For a soldier or police officer who's shot in the line of duty, that moment, as horrible as it may be, is also their greatest moment of glory. Because that is the moment in which they demonstrate service, sacrifice, and love. And so also for Jesus, the moment of his highest glory is his death. There are a few places earlier in the Gospel of John where Jesus speaks of being lifted up from the earth. And that sounds like a glorious and triumphant moment of exaltation. And it is, but as we get closer into the final chapters of the book, we realize that Jesus had been speaking in all of those instances about his cross. That is when he was lifted up from the earth. His death, despite the pain and the shame, is the moment of his glory. And that's what Jesus is praying for when he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. He asks the Father to glorify him through the cross. His idea of glory is much different than ours. And furthermore, we see that Jesus does this not for his own sake, but to glorify his Father and to give eternal life to those whom the Father has given to him. And so notice how Jesus uses his authority. He says, glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority to give eternal life. You have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. 
There's such a contrast between Jesus and the way authority is often exercised in this world. The authorities of this world exercise lordship over those under them. They make demands on those under them and they extract service from them. That's the temptation of authority in this world, to extract some kind of value from those under you. But this is a perversion of authority, and it's not what God instituted authority for. But Jesus has been given authority over all flesh, and he uses it to serve. With this authority, he lays down his life in order to give eternal life to all who know him as Savior. And this is what God desires. This is what Jesus prays for, and this is what we also should pray for and desire. The big theme in this first part of the prayer, the the part that we read today, is knowing God. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Now, what does that mean? It it does not mean that the the total content or the, the substance of eternal life is simply knowing about God. The content of eternal life is much more beyond that. It's knowing God, it's living in his creation, perfection, and holiness. But rather here, Jesus is talking about how someone obtains eternal eternal life. He's talking about who has it, and it's the person who knows God. And so Jesus came into the world to make God known. This is what it means that Jesus manifested the name of his Father. That is, he revealed God. To manifest something means to make it known, but it's more substantial than simply talking about something. Jesus revealed the Father, yes, by what he said. He taught the people with his words, but to manifest God means more than just teaching. It means to embody it. It means to reveal it, not just in words, but also in his person and in his actions. Jesus lived it. He demonstrated it. He manifested the name of God in the world. And the name of God, remember, that is God's complete complete identity. It's who he is. We talk this some way about someone having a good name. And when we talk that way, we don't mean the individual letters of their name. It doesn't mean that the, the words Micah or Sarah are superior to Daniel or Lydia. It's really about the person. Having a good name means that a person has a good reputation. The sum total of what is known about that person is positive. That's what it means to have a good name. And when we talk about the name of God, we mean his complete identity. It's who he is. It's everything that he has revealed about himself to us. And so when Jesus says that he has manifested the Father's name, he means that By his teaching and by his actions, he has revealed to the world who God his Father is and what he is like. We know God through his Son, Jesus Christ. It's like what Jesus said to Philip back in chapter 14. We read this a couple of weeks ago when Jesus said, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The only way to know God is through Jesus Christ because Jesus He's the one person of the Holy Trinity who took on human flesh and showed himself to us. That is how we know God. And so we think, well, what do we know about Jesus? Who was he? A healer? Yes. A miracle worker? 
Yes, a great teacher, of course, a gentle and righteous God, yes. And more than everything else, we see a God who loved us by his death. We see a God who laid aside his life in order to serve us. We see a God who considers his creatures, as crazy as this might sound, considers his creatures as more important than himself. This is the nature of God, not just of Jesus Christ, but also of the Father and of the Holy Spirit, because they share the same divine nature and love as Jesus. This is how Jesus has manifested the name of God. He wants you to know that this is who God is. And so Jesus prays that the Father would then keep his disciples in this name, because to know God is to have eternal life. And so it's very similar to what Jesus teaches us to pray for in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. That is, we pray that the name of God, the knowledge of him, would be kept holy among us. We pray that this knowledge of the saving God would be set apart. We pray that it would be held up above all other knowledge so that before we think of anything else, before we call upon anyone else for help, we would call upon the one true God and be saved. God's name should be so hallowed among us so that in the hour of death, and not just in the hour of death, but in every hour before then, we would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And so this is how we know God. We know him through his son. And this is what we know about God. He is humble and gracious. He is all-powerful and yet gentle. He is both just and loving. He serves those under his authority. He considers his creatures more important than his own life. He laid down his life for us and he took it up again and he ascended into heaven to live and reign forever as our gracious king. To know this God is to have eternal life so that where he is now, we also will be for all eternity. Jesus prays for you so that you will know this name and by this name have eternal life. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.